life will keep changing. And as life changes, you have to go with the flow. Don't let sickle cell define you. I'm not letting sickle cell define me. Right. I will keep moving until I can move no more. I am unstoppable. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombad, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Living African. So today we will be talking about sickle cell disease or sickle cell anemia. So sickle cell disease is an inherited blood disorder. The blood has red blood cells, which are responsible for carrying oxygen in blood and supplying it to the rest of the body. Healthy red blood cells are round in shape and move easily through the blood vessels. But in the case of sickle cell anemia, the red blood cells are shaped like sickles or crescent moons and can get stuck in small blood vessels, which can then slow or even block the flow of blood and oxygen to other parts of the body. Therefore, there aren't enough healthy red blood cells to carry oxygen throughout the body of sickle cell patients. So what are the signs and symptoms of sickle cell disease? Now, the signs and symptoms of sickle cell disease or sickle cell anemia usually appear around the age of five months and can vary from person to person over time. Common symptoms include anemia or low red blood cells, which is obviously a major sign and is even part of the name sickle cell anemia. This commonly happens because sickle-shaped red blood cells have a lifespan of only 10 to 20 days compared to normal red blood cells which can live for as long as 120 days. Pain is also another common symptom. This happens when the sickle-shaped red blood cells block blood flow through tiny blood vessels to the chest, abdomen, and joints. And this pain can also occur in your bones. In addition to other symptoms, which we will later discuss in this episode with our guests, sickle cell anemia could cause complications such as stroke, organ failure, pregnancy, complications, and even death. So what causes sickle cell? Sickle cell anemia is caused by a mutation or defect in the gene that tells your body to make the iron-rich compound called hemoglobin. Hemoglobin is responsible for making blood red and enabling red blood cells to carry oxygen from your lungs throughout your body. As previously said, this disease is inherited, so the defective gene must be passed on from the mother and father for a child to be affected. So basically, that means the mother and father has to be a carrier. That is, have the sickle cell trait, or at least one of the parents has to be a sickle cell patient and the other a carrier. Now, we will also go deeper into that with our guests today as we continue with this conversation. How common is sickle cell anemia in our African community then? So according to a 2012 study, sickle cell anemia actually affects about 20 to 25 million people globally. And out of this, about 75% to 85% of children born with this disease live in Africa, with only about 50% to 80% of infants dying before the age of 5 years old. According to another study done in 2011, it is estimated that 240,000 children are born with sickle cell anemia annually in, in sub-Saharan Africa, 
About 20 to 30 percent of the population in countries like Cameroon, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Gabon, Ghana, and Nigeria have the sickle cell trait. So basically, I am from Cameroon, and that means that about 20 to 30 percent of the people in my country actually have the sickle cell trait. And in some parts of Uganda, the prevalence is about up to 45%. And all these statistics, actually, this is just the statistics on those accounted for. So the reason why we are talking about sickle cell today is because September is Sickle Cell Awareness Month. And considering the prevalence of this disease in African community, I feel like it is not talked about enough. And it is very important for us to normalize such conversations. So today I have with me one of my very good sisters who is a sickle cell survivor and her strength through the years has been such a huge source of inspiration to me and everyone who has ever been fortunate enough to experience her friendship. So Iris Mafor Fobanjang is a 43-year-old sickle cell survivor born in Cameroon and currently residing in the Tampa Bay area, Florida. She works as an emergency room psychiatric nurse And she's convinced that there is nothing better than giving to others what she has received from the healthcare industry. Among many blessings are her two girls, Joris, 17 years old, and Michaela, 10 years old, who have both been her topmost cheerleaders, untiringly spurring her on. Everyone has a story to tell with an entirely unique theme associated with it. If you ask Mafor, Her story can never have an introduction nor a conclusion without delving into the question of how life has been living with sickle cell. Mafor's parents had five children, that is two boys and three girls. Two out of those five children were born with sickle cell. Her sister, Honorine, passed on to glory at the age of eight, unfortunately from complications which stemmed from sickle cell disease. And Mafor is here today to share the story of her life growing up with sickle cell. Hi, Mafor. Welcome to Living African Podcast. And I am super happy to have you today. How are you doing today? Hi, Anira. It is my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm absolutely very delighted to be on your show today. Thank you so much. Same here. The feeling is mutual. You have been like one of my dream people to always have here because I feel like you know a lot of people can learn a lot from you and I personally have learned so much from you throughout the years so I can't wait to really dive in and and just get to you know pick your brains and just hear more of your story and hopefully our audience can also learn one or two things from you tonight so just tell us about your story with sickle cell so like you said before I was born with this disease. It's an inherited blood disease. You know, I've lived with it for 43 years now. And uh, every day is something different. Right. You know, growing up with sickle cell in Cameroon, there are so many challenges. But I think what is most important is that you need to have a support system. And I couldn't ask for more. My parents and my siblings, my entire family, they have given me a bed of roses. Right. Growing up until date. So it was very challenging back home. You know, it was one of those things which you ask yourself, why me? Because there's certain things which I couldn't do growing up. You know, for right. example, I wasn't allowed to go on vacations like my siblings did because my dad and my mom were always scared of me falling sick somewhere mm -hmm. else. But what I learned from them was that the best therapy I could give to myself was to learn the disease process and know how to manage it. Right. And coupled with other resources from back home, especially from my uncle, who's like my father now, Dr. Charles Owasum, I call him Uncle Doctor. <laughs> He has been one of the most supportive uh, systems that I've had. So I couldn't ask for more. Right. Wow, thank you so much. So I know that I just gave an introduction of what sickle cell anemia is, but I really wanted us to dive deeper and give our audience a more detailed insight into the risk factors in terms of having the sickle cell trait and even having the disease. 
So can you, from a health professional perspective, can you further explain to us the dynamics of sickle cell and maybe relate that to your personal experience in terms of how you came about having sickle cell? So pretty much from a professional background, I need to let the audience know that getting married and knowing your partner's genotype is a very big factor as far as, you know, having children and especially having kids with sickle cell or not. For example, and I'll mostly build most of my stories based on personal experiences because I feel like that's the only way to tell the story better. My dad was a carrier mm-hmm. and my mom was a carrier, meaning that their genotypes were both AS and AS. So they had two kids out of the five they had together. And uh, these two kids both were, um, they had a sickle cell disease, Mm -hmm. you know, my late sister and myself. Mm -hmm. So it is very, very imperative that, especially if you have the resources to do that, it is very, very important that you go into, you know, some diagnosis to know what your gene, what your genotype is. Yeah. That way you can make that decision if you really want to deal with this Mm -hmm. or you know, you want to opt out of their marriage because if you have a parent, you know, who is AS mm-hmm. and their partner is AS, mm-hmm. there is a very high chance that they're going to have a child who has sickle cell. Now, if you have a parent who is AS and the other one is SS, absolutely, you know that the S from the from parent A mm-hmm. is obviously going to meet with the S from parent B, B, and you're going to have a sickle cell child. Now, the chances of having one without sickle cell is really slim. Mm -hmm. It's possible, but it's almost like 25%. Right. Okay. And then talk less of, if you, parent A, has the SS genotype and your partner is SS, you know 100%. You're going to have a child that has sickle cell, you know, the sickle cell disease. And uh, that's something really risky to do, even though, there are so many, you know, new therapies out there that can help manage the disease process. But if it's something which you're going to opt out from, yeah, you know, why not? Even why not do it? Begin. I know yeah. back in the days, our parents didn't have the resources, which we do now. They mm-hmm. couldn't tell when they were getting married, you mm-hmm. know. So we have all those resources now. Why don't you make, make use of it? Right, right. Thank you very much for sharing. And just for our, some of our audience who don't know, so having the carrier trait actually means you have AS. Now, A, the A genotype is a normal genotype. So if you're AA, then you're very good to go. Now, if, yes. you're, if you have an S genotype, if you have one, so you have like AS, then you're a carrier. So you have the trait, which is the S part of the genotype. Now, if you have SS, just like MAFO, it means that you are a sickle cell patient. So you have sickle cell a hundred percent now. So in Marfa's case, actually her mom was AS and her dad was AS. So when they actually had children, three of those children did not have the sickle cell disease, but they may have been also carriers. Some of them may have been carriers. And then Marfa and her late sister, unfortunately were SS, which means that they had the sickle cell disease. So as Mafo was saying, it's very, very imperative, very important for you to know your sickle cell genotype before even dating anyone or at least even getting married, because it's extremely important to to actually know that. I mean, considering the the commonality, considering, you know, the the prevalence of sickle cell, especially in our African community, like almost all of West Africa, it's obvious that, you know, it's very prevalent. And for us who are from Cameroon, like I said, just based on the amount of people that are accounted for, about 20 to 30% of population has sickle cell trait. I personally am one of those people. I actually have the sickle cell trait. And it's kind of interesting because I have actually known people in my past who were trying to date me, but I just did not want to date them because I knew that they were sickle cell carriers as well. You know, like I don't even want to start something that I can't finish, you know. So it's very important to know your sickle cell genotype and that will really save a lot of, you know, hardship down the road. Now, I would only imagine that with sickle cell, every day it comes, you you don't know what's going to happen each day and each day comes with its own baggage, whether it's in your health or it's in like pain here or there or just sensitivity to so many things. So what actually are your triggers? 
and what kind of complications have you experienced so far? So you have a couple of triggers here. Dehydration is a big one. Mm-hmm. You know, your body, you know, is dehydrated. Your cells get deprived mm-hmm. from water. You know, water has oxygen. Yeah. So, you know, in other words, you find the cells sickling and that puts you into crisis. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because of the dehydration. Uh, heat. Heat causes dehydration, we all know that. Mm-hmm. So those two go hand in hand. High altitudes, mm. the higher you go, the lesser the, the oxygen. The oxygen, yeah. So that also is going to cause you to get into painful crisis. You have extreme physical activities, you know. Mm. You go out there, you exert yourself so much. Mm. You know, your cells, first of all, they are not the healthiest cells out there. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're sick of shit. So they lack the capacity to carry oxygen like normal disc-shaped red blood cells. Mm-hmm. So that makes you, you know, at risk of getting into, get, getting, you know, crisis. So it's very mm-hmm. important that you avoid high altitudes, you know, you avoid the heat, mm-hmm. you, you know, you stop, you know, extreme physical activities mm-hmm. and most especially stress. Mm-hmm. I cannot emphasize that enough. You have to be responsible enough to know that this stressful situation will put you into crisis. And I know that firsthand because when I go through stress, Mm. there is no way around it. I get into a crisis. And that is why I have had to make some very, very tough decisions in my life to Mm. pull myself out of, you know, very stressful situations, Mm. which I have noticed time over time that have caused me into, you know, very severe crisis. So stress puts a lot of tension, you know, on your body, you know, your immune system breaks down and you're prone to infections just because of stress. It is very, very important that you reduce your stress level as much as possible, whatever the stress factors are financially right. you know life you know just just anything just anything which can cause stress on your body you right. need to eliminate that because that will put you into crisis right wow and i also remember i know like one time i think it was during the winter that i saw you and you were also telling me about cold you know like cold yes. could also be a trigger so it's like i mean you just have to make sure that i i mean based on what you said i suppose you just have to make sure that you're as comfortable as you possibly can in every way possible because any kind of trigger that can put your body into discomfort can actually cause an episode of, you know, the sickle cell disease, which is pretty, pretty interesting, you know, but pretty sad because, I mean, sometimes you find yourself in situations where you can't control, you you can't control external factors sometimes, you know, you can only control what goes on internally with your body. So I would only imagine that like when you find yourself, like when we had the storm earlier in February, it was all cold and lights were out and everything. And you, you know, you, you, we tried to keep ourselves warm, but we could only try as as much. So I would only imagine the impact that it would have had on patients that had sickle cell at that time. Now, what kind of complications are very common with sickle cell anemia and have you had any of them? Well, you can have complications that can vary from, you know, damage to your organs. You know, your mobility can be impaired. Mm. You can have, you know, even like a heart heart attack or stroke. Yeah. Okay. I personally, the most severe kind of complications I've had is a hip surgery. I had a Mm. hip replacement Mm. three years ago because I, over the time, developed what you call a vascular necrosis of the hip which means that my hip bone was pretty much just dying from lack of blood supply to that area. So I was in so much pain. I was on a wheelchair for a few months. Mm. I couldn't walk and uh, they had to do a hip replacement. And thankfully that went really well. And I'm able to be back on my feet and most especially to be back on my heels. Right. (laughs) I know you and your Um, heels. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> you so, love yes. your heels. <laughs> Thank you. I love my heels. So pretty much you can have all of those, you know, even, you know, damage to your liver, your kidneys, all your organs, mm. you know, can suffer from major, major damage. Right. You and know, that... which are just complications from the sickle cell. Right. And is that mostly because of the lack of supply of oxygen to those organs? 
lack of supply of oxygen to the organs. And most of it is just, you know, over time when the organs go for so long without having oxygen, mm. you know, the constant, you know, hemolysis of the yeah. cells, yeah. you know, can, can cause that. Mm-hmm. You know, normal red blood cells can last for maybe 100 to 120 days. Mm-hmm. With sickle cell, they only last for about 10 to 20 days. Mm-hmm. So that tells you that, you know, they, the cells don't last as long as, you know, somebody who's not a carrier or who doesn't have the, you know, the, the trait. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. Now, let's digress a little bit on quality of life and just, you know, life as a sickle cell patient. Now, I remember back home in Cameroon growing up, there were, you know, a couple of kids in school because we went to boarding school. There were a couple of kids that actually had sickle cell. And I mean, first of all, as a healthy person going to school, boarding school, boarding school is super, super stressful. It's like military, basically. I mean, having a sickle cell patient that young, you know, you have to get them to do everything by themselves. Like they were always falling sick. They were always having crisis. And, you know, sometimes we thought maybe some of them were just pretending. Sometimes, most times actually, we took it seriously. But I remember always feeling so bad for, you know, these patients because they could not really do much. And also, I, I think we lost a couple of students, you know, from that, you know, they died at a very young age. So, Life must have been really miserable for them. But I really want to get to know how your own life was in Cameroon, dealing with sickle cell in Cameroon. I know you've shared some scary experiences with me in the past, but like amongst your siblings, amongst your friends, especially at a tender age, like how was life for you like? And how did you even get to understand that there was something going on with you? To say the least, life was very limiting growing up with sickle cell disease. I couldn't understand at such a tender age what was going on. Mm-hmm. My siblings went out for vacations every summer, mm-hmm. and I was the only one left at home with my parents. My dad, you know, protected me every step of the way. Not to say that my mom didn't do just as much, but I was just daddy's little girl. Right. And um, I didn't have that privilege of going out, playing you know, doing some daring stuff, like going to the farms and, you know, just doing fun things like every other normal kid would do. And it was tough. It was tough as a child. It was tough getting into my adolescent years. You know, my growth was very limiting. I did not develop as fast or as, uh, you know, a faster pace as my peers did. Mm -hmm. And I always wonder, like, what is going on with me? But I think the biggest part of this is education. You know, when I was going to boarding school, my dad met with the principal, who was of blessed memory now, uh, Mr. Nubek Golov, explained to him what my health situation was. And uh, didn't come across to him like they were giving me privileges at school. Okay, he knew my background, he knew my whole situation, and he knew exactly where to draw the line when it comes to what activities I could do in school. Mm -hmm. So it it wasn't more of, you know, giving me privileges or making me feel like I can have it all. But I had a health condition, which I didn't expect everybody to understand because most of the time it will come across like, why is she doing justice when I'm doing this much, you know? But I had friends who had my back, and that is what life is all about. If you have two people who can have your back genuinely, that's way better than having a crowd. Yeah. Okay. I had a, I had some few friends who had my back, who always protected me. You know, they stood for me in every situation. And to me, I couldn't ask for more. Wow. Thank you. So in terms of... You know, the health system in Cameroon, I would only imagine that, of course, through the years that you were living in Cameroon, you must have had episodes, right, that you had to go to the hospital. And I remember there was one that you almost lost your life and you had to, I believe they were requiring like a blood transfusion or something like that. Can you tell us more about that? So I had one blood transfusion back home and uh, that episode was very tough. But again, I had unlimited resources as far as from my family and uh, from friends. My uncle, for example, Dr. Awasom, mm-hmm. I call him Uncle Charlie, he gave me unlimited support. You know, he's a medical doctor. 
He took me as his own daughter. And most of the time, he actually kept me at home and gave me all the therapy at his place. So I cannot be more thankful to him and and to Flo, who was his beautiful wife, for going all out to make sure that I am healthy. But uh, of course, they were not there every day. They had their own lives. And I remember when I was in the University of Chang, I um, had an episode and it was at night. I was out in the fields doing my field studies for my final year in the university and I felt sick. It was really bad because there was no access to healthcare where I was. I stayed in the little motel where we were with a group of friends. I slept on the floor, tossing and turning, just waiting for daylight so that I can be taken to Bermenda. I made it through, thankfully. It was scary. I think if not of God, I would have lost my life. I had another episode still in Chang. I felt sick in my hostel, and my friend took me on a motorbike to a local clinic in Chang where they kept me there overnight, and I was deteriorating. I could not breathe. I, you know, all the, 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 the complications, the chest pain, you know, shortness of breath, pains in my joints and everything just kept me very miserable for the entire night. And uh, when it was done, she hired a bus and uh, transported me to Bermuda. Most people didn't have it my way. Because yeah. it is such a disease which has so much stigma to it. Yeah. Especially here in America, when you go to the hospital with a painful crisis, you're black. Yeah. People just assume that you're here to seek mm-hmm. pain medication. Mm-hmm. Your diagnosis, you don't look at the fact that you're in pain, mm-hmm. severe pain, and they just try to put a label on you, which mm-hmm. is really sad. Yeah. But we need to do so much with the healthcare system back home to yeah. improve the quality of care for sickle cell patients. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. About the time that I really wanted us to focus on that story of for the blood transfusion because there's also this ideology behind blood transfusion in Cameroon. A lot of people have this superstitious ideologies that donating blood means, you know, they don't know where the blood is going to. People can take the blood and do weird things and stuff like that. But I remember... You had mentioned to me that I believe your brother had to leave Nigeria to give you blood. And that is literally what saved your life. Can you just tell us about that episode that you had? So I was so low. My hemoglobin was so low and I needed a blood transfusion. And they did all the, you know, testing back home. They couldn't find the perfect match. They couldn't find, you know, a blood group that was suitable enough for me. So my mom communicated with my brother who was in Nigeria at the time and uh, he came back home and tested his blood and it was just a perfect match for me. So he had donated blood at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I, like I said, that was the only blood transfusion I ever had back home. I know things have changed a lot. I know there's been so much improvement as far as, you know, donating blood back home and blood transfusion. Unfortunately, I've been out of Cameroon for, what, almost uh, 19 years now. Mm -hmm. So I'm not very versed with what is up to date as far as blood transfusions. But if I may say, I was fortunate enough to have a brother who was a perfect match for me at the time. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that. Now, talking about the therapeutic options that are available based on your experience from Cameroon and also from here, what are really the available breakthrough therapeutic options that were available to you and which ones were beneficial to you? Well, back home, pretty much, it was just pain management yeah, and the prevention of infections. You know, I was on... Um, prophylactic antibiotics to prevent any infections because, of course, you know, if you have an infection, that is a big trigger to having a crisis. Mm. Here, they have many other options. They have hydroxyurea, which is what I've been on for uh, maybe 10 years now, and it is doing wonders. You know, hydroxyurea pretty much converts your hemoglobin to fetal hemoglobin, which just makes your cells rounder, bigger, and more flexible and kind of prevents crisis. Mm. You know, fetal hemoglobin just means this is the kind of hemoglobin which children will have when they are born. Mm. Okay. They also have, you know, stem cell transplants now, which I haven't ventured into that yet, but I have read lots of articles on it and I know that it's working miracle 
for other people. They do have a bone marrow transplant, which has been around for quite a while. And I know family members and friends who've gone through that with complete success. They just need to be on medications, you know, just to prevent any complications. And I think one of the newer generations is what they call uh, the Oxbritar. You know, it's one of the newer medications. It's pretty much increases your hemoglobin, you know, and it prevents vessel occlusive crisis. So that has been on the market for a few, I want to say about two years now. So one of my hematologists told me, and uh, it depends. They'll give it to you if you have at least, you know, six or more crises a year, mm-hmm. or if your hemoglobin is constantly below like seven or eight, they'll mm-hmm. put you on it. But hydroxyurea is working for me and i'm sticking with that right right thank you so much and just to clarify to the audience who may not know what vaso-occlusive crisis are that's basically i believe when you know the defective sickle cell sickle shaped red blood cells block you know the veins and cause an occlusion or a blockage yeah so blood cannot pass and then you have those crises so now as an adult as you have grown i know you know life was different as a as a child at a tender age and growing up but as an adult for the most part how has sickle cell impacted your quality of life Okay, so like I said before, you have to be able to take control over your life mm-hmm. and uh, know what your triggers are. Mm-hmm. As an adult living in America, there are so many stressors. Yeah. Marriage, work, mm-hmm. kids, you know, just everything. And uh, once you have kids, you have to know that it's not just about you. Yeah, It's about your kids too. Mm-hmm. So every decision which you make, you have to make sure that you're healthy first. Yeah then your kids can be healthy because if you're a sick mother or you're a sick father, there is no way your kids are going to have that quality of life which you want them to have. Right. So it is very, very important that you recognize what can put you into crisis. And that is what I I have done. Mm -hmm. I have sat back and I have looked at what my triggers are, Mm -hmm. you know, the cold weather, stress, just going into things which you know you're going to come out as a loser. It's pointless. So you you have to be able to tell yourself it's okay to stop. Mm -hmm. It's okay to, you know, take a break. And people are not going to understand why you have to stop at times. Right. You know, they'll call your names. They'll think that you're lazy. But those who know me, they know that the only time I stop is when I'm sick. Yeah. I just keep on going. At times I even forget that I have a health situation that I deal with. Yeah. So if I may add, your support system has to be spot on. Yeah. You cannot have people who come around you and pretend that they care, Mm -hmm. that they're there for you, and then they turn around and they say all those nasty things about you. It doesn't work like that. Right. Life does not work like that. And to me, that is the biggest betrayal in life. Yeah, you know, that's true. So have people around you who think that, you know, they're going to be there for you or they're there for you. And uh, the next minute, they're saying all these things about you. Yeah. I have gone through so many of those. Right. I have had people say in my bag that, you know, in my late 30s, I was in my late 30s at the time, I should know how to control my crisis. Okay. You know, what am I always doing in a hospital? Um what don't I understand about sickle cell at this age? And oh, that is so that is so heart wrenching to say the yeah. least. Yeah. Okay, and uh, I just realized that life is really not what it is. Yeah, it is. that's true. You so you have to be the author of your own life. You have to dictate what makes you happy and what doesn't make you happy. Yeah. And you have to recognize. I can't say this enough. Genuine. Support system. Support system. Yeah, yes. that's 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 very true. Thank you so much, Mafa, for sharing that. You know, you always have wise words, which I really love. And you were just spot on with the last uh, statement that you made because this is also why I really, really thought about starting this podcast platform to begin with. Because and and in the in the previous episodes as well, I have always spoken about us Africans and our careless talk. You know, sometimes we don't know that the words that come out of our mouths actually hurt, you know, like someone saying that could literally instead put you into crisis based on just the emotional stress that you will go through to think that that person has betrayed you. You know, 
People, I, I just want to make this clear. People deal with issues differently. And sickle cell is not anything that you can, I don't think it's anything that you can have a total control of because it's a lifelong issue and every day is different. So to think about you just because you've had the sickle cell disease for all these years, to think that or expect you to have had control over it as if you were the one that started it to begin with, I don't think that's really sensitive of the situation and you know that's something that we have to really learn how to be more sensitive to what other people are going through and not make a judgment based on how we expect them to handle certain situations because we're all different we're all on a different journey and we handle life differently and different things happen to us you know so that's just something i wanted to throw out there now talking about marriage and children I mean, I know, you know, like you had said, when it comes to choosing a life partner, you know, there's always this looming question over your head, especially considering your sickle cell status, the SS status. So how has dating life been considering your status and what challenges actually have you faced with that? Well, let me put it this way. I was fortunate enough to be married to somebody who did not have the trait. Mm -hmm. I think... That is one of my most cherished blessings because I have two girls mm-hmm. and they are both carriers. They, they both have the trait. Mm-hmm. It could have been different. Yeah, I could have met somebody with the traits and ended up with a sickle cell child. And can you imagine me going through crisis and having a sick child too? Oh my goodness. That would have been very, very uh, disabling yeah. to say the least. So long story short, we are all adults. We had to make some decisions to move on, mm-hmm. you know, parted ways. But I can't say I took a conscious decision mm-hmm. to get married to him, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that he wasn't a carrier. That was just God's doing. Mm-hmm. I know when I introduced my ex to my dad, he went behind and he did his own little investigations, tried to find out if the family has, you know, any of those health issues, especially with a sickle cell. Mm-hmm. And um, came back that, you know, nothing, you know, was found so far. Mm-hmm. And um, that gave my dad some sort of peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. People go better when they go through, you know, a divorce and uh, it's normal. I've been bitter myself, yeah. but yeah. I sit back and I ask myself, what is it that I can smile about? Yeah. And when I look at my two kids, I don't even smile. I laugh. Mm-hmm. I giggle, you know, because it doesn't happen every day. Mm-hmm. Now, to those out there who are still looking or who are dating, it's not only with sickle cell. You have to be able to recognize the fact that if you have sickle cell, you have to have a partner who's supportive. Right. You have to have someone who understands what the disease process is. And it boils down to everything. And there are times when, you know, even when it comes to sex, okay, if you are in pain and you don't feel like, you know, having sex, he should be able to understand that, no, my partner doesn't feel good and it cannot be today. Right. You have some very greedy people who still want to, you yeah. know, put you down and, you know, do it without considering the fact that you have underlying health issues. Yeah. And when I'm upbeat, I'm all out mm-hmm. for those who know me. When I'm down, I stay low. Yeah. So it is very important to have a partner who understands your health situation and somebody who can be able to manage it at home and be there for you in the hospital and not judge you. Somebody who can understand the fact that you cannot work because you're sick and they don't expect you to make miracles yeah. and pay bills because you're sick. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to be with somebody who will not ask you that, oh, you can't work, but you can go out and buy you know, a pair of shoes. What if that pair of shoes is just what's going to make me feel good at that time? Mm-hmm. You know, what if shopping is my own therapy? Mm-hmm. Are you going to judge me because of that? Absolutely not. So... Having a supportive partner is the bottom line here Right. in a nutshell. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. So when you were dating or when you have been dating or, you know, when you are dating physically, has your sickle cell status been a hindrance? It has been in so many ways. It has been in so many ways. 
I've had situations which going out with my partner, we couldn't do fun stuff together as far as, you know, going on roller coasters, mm. okay, because of the high altitude. Mm. And uh, I cannot swim in, like, cold water because that could trigger a crisis, mm. you know. Yes, absolutely. And if you do, it is very important that you get into a hot shower just to bring back your body temperature to normal or near or near normal. There are things which they want you to do with them and you just cannot because mm. your body cannot permit you to do it. Right. So it is very, very, you know, necessary that you get somebody or you're with somebody who understands that part because right. it can be very, very limiting. Right. And has it been hard to even find somebody who will accept you because of your status? Like, I mean, somebody may like you and you may like somebody, but... They may choose to not date you because you're a sickle cell patient. Has that ever occurred to you? Personally, no. Well, of it has not. never been a roadblock. <laughs> Fortunately, it has never been a roadblock in in my relationship. Right. At least at the beginning. Not to say that it hasn't pulled in funds. Mm -hmm. You know, at some point mm -hmm. when they really realize that this is serious. Right. You know. They come along, they see you, you're glowing, you're, you know, you're in a good mood. You know, you can do stuff, you can clean, you can cook, you can have kids. Um, you can do all this fun stuff. But when you get hit by mm. a real crisis and mm. you're out of work for a couple of months, mm. you know, nine months, one year, mm. and you can't meet up with the bills anymore, then that becomes like an eye-opener to them. Mm. Oh my goodness, what am I dealing with? And then you hear family members, oh, when you were getting married to her, didn't you know right. uh, she had crisis? Or, you know, in the case of dating, oh, I hear your girlfriend has sickle cell. How, how, how is that? You know, mm. are you guys able to do fun stuff around? Again, it has to come from the individual, not from the family. And the moment they divert themselves or they divert the focus from you to their family members, mm -hmm. that becomes a big issue. Yeah. That becomes a big issue because then they refuse to see that you have a problem. Right. And then the story changes. Right. It happens every day. Yeah. happens every day wow thank you so much for sharing i mean i said of course not because i mean with your personality anyone can fall for you <laughs> for I sure because <laughs> i so i'm not surprised i'm not surprised that you haven't had any issues with that because you have such a very good personality now talking about kids i have seen you pregnant before and i mean i didn't even know i couldn't tell that there was anything wrong with you but i would only imagine pregnancy first of all it's like you barely own your immune system right so it's like you're sharing your immune system with a little somebody inside of you and right. you're very very sensitive a normal person a healthy person is very very sensitive at that point to any kind of illnesses and stuff like that so how was it being pregnant as a sickle cell patient for you well my first pregnancy was smooth wow. i was blessed yes and i think part of it was because i was in my early 20s mm -hmm. i was 23 when i got pregnant with my first daughter and uh, only complication i probably had maybe three or four crises for the entire pregnancy mm -hmm. and um I had a C-section, of course, because they thought it was safer for me and going through the stress of, you know, the stress of having, you know, a natural birth and going through labor. So right. or all the labor pains and all of that, that puts, you know, additional stress on your body right. and that can trigger a crisis. So that wasn't bad at all. But when I was pregnant with Michaela, mm -hmm. you know, that was seven years later, you know, by default, your body starts shutting down. You know, you're not as strong and, and vibrant as before. Mm -hmm. And uh, pregnancy added to that just kind of slows everything down. Right. So Michaela's pregnancy was kind of rough. Mm. Uh, but that is when I know that there is a God because against what everybody else thought, you know, people called me, you cannot keep this pregnancy, it's going to kill you. And all sort of things were said. And all I did was I asked them, where is your God? Mm. That is a time when you get down on your knees and you pray. And I'm thankful for all those who prayed for me. I'm thankful for this baby, Michaela. She is like my <laughs> biggest cheerleader right now. Michaela and I fight every day. We laugh every day. <laughs> right. You know, we scream at each other every day. But when I look back 10 years ago, it was tough. Mm. It was really tough. I have, I must have had about 
two crises every month. Oh my goodness. You, two episodes every month through Michaela's pregnancy. And um, I found out I was pregnant with Michaela when I was about two and a half months gone, almost three months. Mm. Miraculously, you know, that's when I knew about it. I uh, just took a deep breath and I said, I'm going to keep this pregnancy. I'm going to take it through and God will see me through. So mm. it was rough. I had multiple transfusions during, during her pregnancy and uh, she came, she was a preemie mm. uh, because it was just safer for mm-hmm. them to take her out mm. and save my life at that time. So that was wow. it with my pregnancies. Um, the first one wasn't so bad, but Michaela's own was, uh, was quite a, was quite a, a hard nut to crack. Well, thankfully, you were safe and the baby came out healthy as well. And yeah, she is definitely a healthy baby. <laughs> yes. Well, I know she's not a baby anymore. So <laughs> so talking about the children, how has your frequent episodes impacted them? I would only imagine that, I mean, I know it's a mother's night, worst nightmare for the child to be sick, but I feel like it's even worse when you are the mother, you're supposed to be the protector, but there are certain times in your life where you're helpless. Like you can't even take care of your own self, talk less of taking care of them. And it must be a different kind of hurt and pain that you must have felt. How have your children helped you with your recovery process? And also how has, how have these episodes actually impacted them? It has been a rough ride. Every time I have a crisis, my worst nightmare is how my kids are going to deal with it. Mm. Joris is at a stage now where she understands at least 70% of what happens when I have a crisis and what she needs to do. Mm -hmm. Crying, being on the floor, tossing and turning, you know, the agony from the pain. And uh, all you can do is just sit there and wait for every passing second to know if you're still going to live and what's going to be there for your kids. That has been the greatest uh, challenge for me. There was a time Michaela thought my home was in the hospital. My in-laws at the time had her first birthday in the hospital because I was sick. Ever since then, it has been from one hospital visit to the other. If I share pictures with you, Michaela has been in my bed, my hospital bed for the most part, you know, giving me the best massages, you know, pampering me. And um, Joris has... Joris is on the quiet side. She doesn't talk much. You know, she deals with pain. She internalizes a lot. Mm-hmm. But I can see it in her eyes that she's hurting because mom is hurting. Yeah. I cannot be more thankful for these kids for going through all of this with me. Because when I look back or when I even try to flip the coin, I don't even know how I would have been able to deal with a sick mom. But they deal with this every time I have a painful crisis and every time I'm in the hospital. Joris will ask me, Mom, do you want me to rub your bag? Do you want me to get you a hidden pad? I have taught them what to do when I'm sick. Mm. I started teaching Joris how to drive the moment she was ready to. Mm -hmm. Because I know that living with these two girls, they are my to-go persons if I am sick. So I had to make some very, very tough decisions and make them understand that you guys are my backbone. So mm-hmm. I have to count on you as much as you have to count on me. But my only prayer is that as I grow older, may they become more resilient and uh, more aware of what is going on. And may God give them the strength to yeah. deal with this because as I said, you know, this is it. This is sickle cell for you. You know, you have therapies to manage it, but you're gonna have to deal with this for the rest of your life. Right. Whether I like it or not. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that Muff. I would only imagine how much it has been of a journey for three of you, especially. I personally I don't know what I would have done if my mother was always sick. So I honestly cannot imagine what they've gone through and the strength that they have shown. And I'm very sure that you tap a lot of your strength from them, actually. And I would do the same if they were my kids because I know them personally and those are such wonderful kids. They look nothing like what they've been through. 
you know, and I would only imagine that they will grow up to be very, very, very impactful women in the community. Now, what has this entire experience with sickle cell, what has it taught you about life? Well, if I look at my story, there's just one thing I can say. You have to be strong to move on. Life is not a bed of roses. Whether you have sickle cell or not, you have to have your coping skills to go through life. And there's one thing which my dad will always tell me. Actually, it's a Bible verse. I want to say Proverbs 18, verse, uh, I want to say verses 14 to 16. Uh, your will to live will sustain you when you are sick. Hmm. But if you let go of it, your last hope is gone. You have to, you have to muster that courage to always keep moving in life. The only predictable thing is change. Life will keep changing. And as life changes, you have to go with the flow. Don't let sickle cell define you. I'm not letting sickle cell define me. Right. I will keep moving until I can move no more. I am unstoppable. Yes. You know, I am unstoppable. And this is what I want to tell everybody out there. You know, don't let anyone label you. Hmm. They can be labeled too. Yeah. Ask yourself how many people die of sickle cell today? Not as many as cancer patients, mm. you know. But there is so much more to live for, even if you have sickle cell. Even if you're not married, even if you don't have kids, just the gift of life alone is enough to keep you moving. And you always have to have that positive affirmation in you that you have to keep on moving. When you're sick, you slow down. Take a breather, recuperate, get up, and keep moving. Because many people abuse the system. Many people take advantage of the fact that they have sickle cell. You know, they cannot go to work. You know, they just want to stay home. And I'll tell you this. When I was in New Jersey, I had a social worker at uh, one of the hospitals there, Thomas Jefferson Hospital in, in Philadelphia. And she told me that, Iris, if your hemoglobin is constantly below 9 you are eligible to get disability funds from the state. You don't have to work. Mm. And uh, I came back home and it wasn't even something that I had to think about because I know I have to work. Mm. Even if it's just for one day, even if I'm working just for one day a month, I have to work. Mm -hmm. I can imagine sitting at home every day waiting for a check from the, from the government or from the state. Right. Because I have sickle cell. Because my hemoglobin is constantly below nine. No, it doesn't work like that. I have kids who look up to me. When my daughter asks me, Mom, what do you do for a living? What am I going to tell her? I'm on disability? Right. No. No. I, I, I refuse. I refuse. And that's what most people don't understand, that you can take upon yourself and not do anything. And you live a fairly comfortable life because you have sickle cell. But then what, are you, what is the lesson you're teaching your kids? What are you emulating to your children? That's not right. Yeah. You're making them to be comfortable in their own situations, which is not right. You need to be able to uh, get rid of that roadblock and keep moving. Mm -hmm. Wow. That was a very powerful piece of advice that you have given of course, using your own life as an example. And I can attest to that. Like I tap so much strength from you. I mean, it, you're such a vibe. I'll just let you know that you're, yeah. you're such a vibe. Like every time, like I re always enjoy spending time with you. I always enjoy hanging around you. Just, you don't even have to say much, but just from the way you carry yourself, just from the way your family also treats you, you know, especially your relationship with your sister, Joy. It's like, I'm so envious. <laughs> you guys are like kind and dog but i love it you know and i mean i can only 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 you know just keep encouraging you to just remain true to yourself like you've always been because you don't even know how many people you're inspiring especially the people in your life now what advice will you give to the community about being more sensitive to what sickle cell patients actually go through and also to defy the stereotypes surrounding patients with sickle cell well i'll go back to my statement, knowledge is power. Mm. They should be more community resources out there to educate people on what sickle cell is all about. And uh, for the patients, 
so many times you go to the hospital, you don't get enough therapy, you don't get enough pain medication because you think you're pain, you're, you're seeking pain medication. Right. Okay. It is very important that you have a printout mm. of your regimen. That way they look at it and they say, okay, she always takes maybe diluted one milligram or morphine, you know, oxygen, uh, IV fluids, you know. That way no one is questioning what you're asking because it's documented somewhere mm-hmm. by a licensed medical practitioner. Mm-hmm. And I think this really goes to as far as the geographic, you know, regions is concerned. Like where I live in Trinity, the disparity between the African-Americans and the uh, Caucasians is, is, is very wide. Mm. You have hospitals here where you go there with, you know, sickle cell or crisis and, you know, they pretty much know what to do, but they don't know what it takes to actually get you out of that crisis as soon as you would want. Mm. So that is already a very big, you know, a limiting factor as far as your recovery is concerned because they don't see many of those sickle cell patients because it because of the you know the geographic you know the low disparity yeah. yes in the you know in that specific region more awareness more awareness more awareness is the biggest thing i would say right even as far as knowing what to do if somebody is out there you know they hate and they have a crisis, you know, what do you do first? Right. I just think that creating more awareness among the society, among the community at large would be a great way to get this going. Right. And also in terms of the stereotypes, you know, especially back home in Africa or in Cameroon per se, in our, in our case, it's always the stereotype that all sickle cell patients are weak. You know, they cannot get married you know, you know, there's, there's all this stereotypes surrounding sickle cell patients. And if anything, sickle cell patients are one of the strongest people I've ever met, you know, because to tolerate all that pain throughout all the years, it's not, it's not what many people can attest to be able to do, you know. So I just want to defy that because sickle cell patients are actually strong. I don't know if there's any other stereotypical experience that you have had that you want to defy about sickle cell? Yeah, most people will think that they can have kids. Mm, well. <laughs> yes, actually, yes. I had somebody actually call me up one day and they said, I'm actually surprised that you have kids. Hmm. You know, and I just smiled and I said, why won't I have kids? Right. It's enough burden to have sickle cell. Do you think God won't, you know, to make me you know, barren again on top of all the, the problems I face with sickle cell. Mm-hmm. So having sickle cell, yes, you have limitations, but you can still have a full functioning life as long as you know how to manage your disease process. Right. Well, thank you so much, Mafor. It was such a great conversation with you today. And I really hope that the message goes through to So many people, those who have sickle cell, those who are trying to choose a life partner, those who are taking care of a family member or know anyone who has sickle cell, and even some of us who are carriers. Again, it's very, very important for everyone, especially of the African descent, to know their status with sickle cell because it could literally be like the best decision that you have made or could lead to one of the most difficult experiences in life when you start having kids and stuff like that. So I just want to thank you for sharing your voice on this platform and for sharing your story. And I hope that the discussion does not only end here. I hope that we can all take these conversations to our circles and also have more discussions on how we can make our lives better, how we can get to be more sensitive and know our health status, not only in sickle cell, but in other diseases and I don't know if you have any last words to say before we go. Well, there is no better way to end this great uh, dialogue with you apart from saying thank you. Uh, I want to recognize my support system. I cannot begin to call names out here. My siblings, Ransom, Joy, Foncho, my friends. Oh my God, talking about friends, I can say even one name here because that would be why did you call just a and not right. b right you get into trouble <laughs> get into trouble they know themselves 
from back home, from, you know, GS Atuakom to PSS Bafo to CPC Bali to Chang, University of Chang, you know, out here in the U.S., here in Tampa, I have, over the years, made so many friends and uh, my support system is just unbelievable. And there is not a single day that I go to bed without thanking God for those who have been there for me and for those who, you know, have not judged me, for those who have just taken me for who I am and just know that she is just Irish. She is just mouthful. Right. She has her own challenges, but that doesn't make her, you know, any different from who she should be. Right. So... I'm so grateful and most especially I want to thank my mother Yes, for being there for me Yes, endlessly. I couldn't even imagine what it has been thinking that this is another crisis for her. Is this going to be it? You know, those things go through my mind. Yeah. And as a mom at her age, I want to give her all the credits. Yeah. And I am very, very blessed. So I've shared my story with you and with the audience. And if there was anything else I can do to help anyone out there, please don't hesitate to contact me. Uh, I am 43 years old and life continues. Right. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Mafo. Actually, I was going to ask how the audience can contact you, but I'm going to leave your contact information in the show notes in case anyone has any kind of uh, advice that they want to seek from you or just reach out to you for any resources that you may be of help with. So thank you so much. And I really want to thank you, especially for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on here. And I thank the audience for also listening to this moment and let's not forget to be kind to one another thank you very much for listening and i will see you guys in the next episode bye that's it for today thank you for listening to our show if you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello at livingafricanpodcast.com also don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at living african podcast you can also connect with anyo directly on facebook or instagram at anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.